This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, November 13, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Michael Bomley joins us today to talk about his challenges running for a state senator position. But first, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that money injects corruption into our government. As an example, the total cost of the 2022 state and federal midterm elections this year is projected to exceed $16.7 billion. This is according to a new OpenSecrets.org analysis. And hey, you know, that money comes with strings attached, right? If you're as concerned about it as I am, then check out Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. To put it simply, the proposed amendment states that corporations are not people. In other words, money does not equal free speech. It's a bold concept that's designed to get the influence of money out of our elections. For more information, you can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. Michael Bomley now joins us to talk about his state Senate campaign. Michael ran as a Democrat in Missouri's State Senate District 12, which is an area in northwest Missouri that is highly Republican. Northwest Missouri is a largely rural area with vast farmland stretching out for miles and miles, dotted with occasional towns like Maryville, Ravenwood, Stanbury, King City. The largest city in District 12, I believe, is Maryville. It's a college town with a population of roughly 10,000 people. Michael is a systems administrator, computer science specialist who grew up on a farm in rural Missouri. He watched as the geographical boundaries of his district expanded due to a shrinking population. He believes in individual freedoms while protecting those who are vulnerable, and he also believes in equality. Now, during his campaign, he identified his top priorities as education, agriculture, health care, cybersecurity, and rebuilding rural America. Oh, rebuilding rural Missouri, I should say. <laughs> so, Michael, with that brief introduction, thanks for joining us on Democracy on the Move, and welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. Good. So let's get right into it. The, the Democrats are framing the election last Tuesday as a victory of sorts because, well, they didn't they didn't lose as badly as they originally thought, uh, but they did lose significant ground. And as of this recording, the balance of power in the U.S. Congress is still undetermined. And in your district, you trailed the Republican candidate, uh, Rusty Black, by a significant amount. I believe the ratio was like 80-20. So can you give us a broad-level introspection on this race and why it was such an unbalanced outcome for you? Um, there's, a, there's a couple of aspects to this that I, I will address right off the bat. Uh, one is, I, I'll be straight up and honest, I wasn't the solid candidate that I needed to be. I had a lot of prior obligations that uh, really got, um, that came before campaigning. So I wasn't able to get out and do the door knocking that I needed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family has a lot of prior needs and uh, sure. work also has a prior, prior needs. And also I'm a student who's graduating this fall. So that wow. was a prior need. You're taking on an uh, awful lot there. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of question what I'm going to do with my time once I'm done here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that that to me, I'm going to go ahead and take the blame there on not making enough time, effort to door knock, to communicate, uh, to really set up the network. Uh, we mm-hmm. also had problems uh, being such a rural and large district. Well, I really didn't know what the district was going to be like until about April or May, because mm-hmm. a lot of that wasn't set in stone. I saw a lot of temporary maps. Yeah. And then once it was out there, I, I lost a lot of urban districts, uh, especially uh, at least I think I lost Excelsior Springs from the, the yeah. 2020 election. Which, That's up around St. Joe, that area? Or is that down uh, in Kansas, Kansas City? City? Oh, okay. Kansas yeah. City area. So, yeah, I, I gained a few extra counties, uh, spread out a little bit more. Uh, it's now like 199, 198 miles across the district. Wow. And that's bigger uh, than a lot of us congressional districts. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it is. Uh, (laughs) it is the largest state Senate district in Missouri Mm -hmm. by like almost four counties. Wow. 
happen. I, I need to do the math on the area and get that out there. But yeah, it just, it takes a lot of resources and we just did not have the resources. You didn't have a uh, helicopter a, or anything like that. You could no, just kind of drop no, in. I, yeah. I, I just, I hadn't got the pilot's license yet. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm working on that. No, uh, yeah, something else for you to do, right? <laughs> In your spare time. <laughs> exactly. Finish with college. Let's go, let's go to a pilot's license. No, <laughs> um, there's that. There's also a problem of, we have a lot of counties in this district that do not have a, a central committee to work with, mm -hmm. uh, an active central committee. And, and that also made a lot of problems. Uh, those that did, I went to a lot of effort to go through and make sure that I would visit them. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's been some cases where it just, it wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're working on it. Yeah. But, that that kind of good. surprises me because, you know, I, we talked to Tara Honora. I'm sure you know her. She ran for, um, uh, for, for office also down in the Lake of the Ozarks area. And she said that the same thing, there are a lot of counties there that don't have the, uh, without an active uh, county seat for the, for the Democratic Party. It's just, it's, she said you got Republicans right. and you got independents, but no Democrats. That's right. A, yeah. Right. So, and that, that really kind of killed me. I mean, yeah. it did. I, I was very fortunate to have someone like Jessica Piper running in HD1, who was such a strong candidate. Mm -hmm. that it helped me out. And I was, I'm not going to lie. I was riding her coattails for a good chunk of the election. I even uh, was tagging my stuff with dirt road Democrat because it was just such a good campaign. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. because we, the infrastructure wasn't there, it, it hurt her too. Yeah. That's, that's interesting too. We had Jess Piper on the, on the podcast here about a year ago, actually, when she was pretty early in her campaign and just sort of been following her ever since <clears throat> occasionally talking with her and, and actually met her one time in, in Columbia, Missouri. And um, she did pretty well, but still it was an uphill battle for her and, and she still did not win, which, which kind of surprised me, although I wasn't keeping up with what her opponent was doing. But uh, that lack of infrastructure in the rural areas is, um, is, is a killer, I think, in many ways. Um, so that was one roadblock you ran into. What other, what other types of roadblocks were you able to hold like town halls or, or how about the media? Were you able to get any media attention or anything like that? I was able to get some time on the media. Uh, there's, there was actually a lot of radio stations that helped out KFEQ. Uh, there was a radio station down in, uh, Chillicothe that was happy to take my interview. Mm -hmm. There was also uh, KMA, which is actually on the side of Iowa, but because a lot of the listeners in, are in Missouri, they picked up and ran an interview with me several times. Okay. Uh, the media was helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I didn't have the funding to actually go through and start putting ads out in the media, which I think kind of hurt. So yeah. a lot of people are like, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah. But I think that's something that needs to do. Another thing that another couple of roadblocks that we ran into, and there was an article, I believe it was in the St. Louis Post mm -hmm. uh, about Northwest Missouri and basically saying uh, a lot of people feel like Democrats left them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. there's there's that at the national stage. Uh, you don't see a lot of Democrats pushing for rural issues, uh, even though if you look at the Biden administration, what he's done for agricultural as, as, is actually pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, there's, there, it just, they, they get this mantra and it's hard to, to kind of break that, uh, cycle of saying, no, Democrats are, are for you. They're, we, we want to support rural Missouri. We want to support agricultural communities. We want to rebuild. And it's a, it's a hard message to, to counteract, but yeah. that's, that's, that's a big roadblock that we got to get past. Yeah, and I was going to talk about that a little bit too because you know I, I live on the other side of the state here near the St. Louis area down in Jefferson County, and um, we don't have there was no competition for for the uh, for the Republicans in my district, uh, in my state representative district, in the state senate district there was competition, but that competition was late to the table and was the only person that showed up for the primary and. And as and you're familiar with that as well, because I believe you were the only one on your primary. And it's yes. a it's a difficult thing for me to comprehend because I, I <clears throat> I'm seeing this again and again and again that the Democrats are ignoring wide swaths of of constituents out in the rural areas. And um, I, I can point out numerous examples of it. And 
Uh, I've also heard that uh, you're when you become a candidate within the Democratic Party, you're kind of expected to do all the work, like raise the money, organize your volunteers and educate yourself on how to run a campaign. And if you get any support from the party itself, it, I've heard you had to pay for it. Like if you want access to a database or mailing lists or something like that. They actually want you to pay for it. And it, it just seems like it, it, it's almost as if the Democratic Party has become this industry that's just a for profit industry insofar as you know the rural areas are concerned i mean I, I might be a little bit cynical here but is that am i too far off base with that no you're not you're not it does it does make it more difficult to get started uh there were some uh trainings to go to that were offered for free for candidates to j- jump into and get started on mm-hmm. uh, i believe there was a couple of day boot camps that that are helpful mm-hmm. but again a lot of it was a lot of it was common knowledge kind of things as far as, is you know, but you're right. A lot of it was, uh, you kind of got to fend for yourself. Okay. Well, you, you form a committee, you build this up and then you start, you know, your call times, your major moneymaker. Well, Jess kind of proved that wrong in her, uh, her TikTok campaign, because that, mm-hmm. I think that blew away a lot of numbers on, on, uh, for earning money, mm-hmm. uh, she was just so over the top that call time really wasn't important right uh there's yeah she she jumped in pretty early though i mean she was she did yeah and she she, did and in in fact yeah that was one of the things that i was actually mentioned i i think the day after i lost i jumped on twitter and my first tweet was all right now here's the thing 2024 is coming up 2026 2028 2030 if you're thinking about running in these races get started now yeah yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah, she got an early start and she built up uh, a lot of support. She's uh, and she had, I think, a lot of support from her family, too. I think her, her husband. Um, it's kind of a weird story, but I, I, I saw this uh, corn fed threads, which is this name of this company online. And they had all these T-shirts that were really funny, you know, the politically funny mm-hmm. T-shirts. And so I thought, well, I'd like to talk to this guy, get him on the podcast, find out, you know, where he's coming from and what he's doing and how successful he is and everything. And I found out it's 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 just it's Jessica's husband. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. It's like, well, are you are you guys the only two people in in the whole state that are that are progressive like this? So it was pretty funny, and so I I never did follow through with the interview with him, but I thought it'd be a very fascinating interview. But she had you know this this whole. Uh, I think both she and her husband have this this um, sense of of the market. They know how to they know how to market themselves, and they've done a very good job at it. You know, but still, it, the the margins by which she lost was still pretty high. And I want to mm-hmm. dig into that a little bit too, because you know you're living in a in a very difficult area. You know, running as a Democrat in in an area which is primarily Republican. This is mm-hmm. going to be a real uphill battle for you. I mean, how? What are the Republicans doing? What's their secret sauce for getting the message out and recruiting all of these uh, rural people into into their into their fold, and to the point where they won't even listen to a Democrat? It's <clears throat> to be straight honest. It's a money game mm-hmm. um, from from the get go. It's a money game. They have beat back their opposition so badly. Uh, with a brutal, brutal company. Uh, what I think that they're Axios. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started a few years ago. There was a guy from Northwest. Uh, his name's Jeff Rowe. He was a. Uh, uh, he ran, uh, helped started Sam Graves, and now he's all the way up to helping. Uh, he helped Ted Cruz run a couple of elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, they built up this network, and it just it runs Northwest Missouri. Actually, it runs Northern Missouri because that's all of Sam's districts. Uh, it, it's yeah. And that's, they helped my opponent. They helped my opponent in the primary. That's one of the reasons why the fundraising was off the charts there. Uh, yeah. there was $650,000 spent Wow! in that primary. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just for people's, uh, education, Sam Graves is the U S representative, uh, representing the entire Northern half of Missouri, really pretty much from the Missouri river on up. Yeah, he he's been. I think he's been uh, representative mm-hmm. since like two thousand or something like that. He just has a yes. big, powerful machine up there, and he just keeps going. And we had his Democratic opponent online here or on on the podcast here a couple times, 
And um, I mean, I, I think he had the same experience, you know, running around every single town and, and doing town halls. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, this guy's, you know, got something because, you know, Sam Graves isn't doing anything as far as I could tell. I mean, right. I, I subscribed to his newsletters and he, he bloviates about this and that, you know, but he really doesn't seem to do very much. And, you know, and the Democrats that I know of in that area and, and throughout all of Missouri, are just scrambling. I mean, just scrambling, trying to get uh, trying to get some attention. And it's almost like just running up against a brick wall. It, it is difficult once you get so entrenched. And that was one of the things that the reason why a lot of us thought we had opportunities is term limits was kind of giving us an opportunity to not run against an incumbent. Yeah. But yeah. whenever you turn around and you have uh, Herzog dollars and everything else flying at your opponent, uh, it, it kind of it hurts. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things if you look at a lot of the fundraising, I think I've had two packs donate to me uh, max out versus if you look at my opponent. But I also didn't go begging for the money. That's a big difference that I mm -hmm. probably should have done. I didn't want to do. Um, yeah. I don't like being a beggar. Uh, I think that that's terrible. Yeah. What's done with all this money, by the way? I mean, you, you get, you know, they say, well, you know, this campaign gets millions <laughs> of dollars. What do you guys do? Just, you know, pay people for votes or something like that? I mean, I mean, I, you know, you're running radio ads and things like that, but can't be well, that expensive, right? Or is it? Uh, yeah, actually, if you think about it, um, Jess ran real heavy on the ads. Uh, I could open up a paper this last time and and a good chunk of the ads were, were Jess. She ran full page ads at the local paper. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was it. She ran radio ads. She ran a digital campaign where there at the end, right before the election, I, I went to a website and it would have a Jess, paper, uh, Jess Piper banner on it. Wow. Uh, I, I kind of did some of that. I spent, you know, um, uh, I didn't get any of the larger signs. I probably should have. I, I aimed to do that. Didn't get it on time, mm -hmm. but, uh, there was a thousand dollars of her, uh, four by eight signs that went over to, uh, Albany mm -hmm. and got distributed. Wow. <laughs> I was Albany was actually, I was, I was really rooting for Gentry County just because I went over to Albany and I saw several signs of her and Trudy Bush going in and out of town. And it, it just, it looked like we possibly had a County there. We did not. Wow. That's, that's part of where it goes. Mm -hmm. Um, I know mine went to signs and then newspaper ads, but I also, I was dealing with maybe $5,000 total. Yeah. Yeah. So, up against someone like, you know, uh, your opponent, <laughs> which had all of this backing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and actually I was kind of disappointed because he only ran on, I think he had an additional $70,000 in the bank earnings from mine. I was really hoping to get him to go over a wow. hundred. Yeah. But that was, that was also part of my strategy was to, yeah, I know that had I not ran, they mm. would have not spent anything. They would yeah. have spent maybe bare minimum. And, and that, that, that is a strategy from the Democrats to do that. You make your, <clears throat> make your opponents burn some money in a district. Absolutely. And, and yeah, we, I, it's not a completely failing strategy because we did pick up three house seats. So yeah. um, I'm not necessarily taking the credit for that, but I'm, I do think that maybe I, I helped. I hope I helped, Yeah. but wow. that's, uh, yeah, we have this many unopposed districts. I think the more we get, people in those positions I, I think that'll that'll kind of change things moving forward yeah so well, i guess the democrats you know as, as an organization they kind of look at it like okay they're not gonna it's it's a, a good return on their dollar right because they don't have to put a whole lot of attention or money into these regional state and uh, senator and, and representative positions but they still get what they what happens is they cause their opponent to spend money that might otherwise go to other races. So right. it's, it's a big financial um, calculation, I suppose. Did it, you, it is. did you do any meet and greets when you're on the campaign trail? I mean, did you actually, you know, press the flesh as they say, or work the rope line or whatever? And, yeah. and what did you find that resonates with your constituents? Because, you know, you, you had identified education, abortion, I mean, yeah, the abortion, economy, religion, guns, Oh no, I'm going down the Republican uh, thing here. But you you, you, <laughs> you identified you identified a lot of issues or, or uh, campaign emphasis areas in in your campaign. And yeah, here it is: education, agriculture, healthcare, cybersecurity, rebuilding rural Missouri. 
Are these the things that really yeah. resonated with people on the campaign trail? What did you find? It, it actually depended on the audience. Mm -hmm. It really did. Um, I would, when I'd go to a, I, I told the same story a few times um, that I love to tell. One was about in these rural communities, you have farmers that uh, they're, if you knew a farmer, they're, they're pretty independent people. They, mm. they're taught to kind of be on their own and, and yeah. get out there. And if something breaks down, you fix it. If you need help, you, you go for help. Well, what happens is occasionally something happens to a farmer where they get put up uh, in the bed or they get cancer and need treatment or right. uh, as a, what happened with uh, uh, one of my family members were they basically got hit by a car and were taken out for uh, a season or two. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's devastating. You, yeah. It is. It is. You know, when, when you don't have a lot of farm hands to help, uh, especially a lot of these smaller farmers, it, it becomes a burden. It's a problem. You know, you, you can't just let the, the crop sit in the field. You can't let the hogs just keep growing and, and starve. Right or things like that. But what would happen is, especially around uh, harvest time and uh, planting season, you would see these massive coordinations between the local community that uh, got together. And it, it's it's crazy, especially around harvest season, because you're dealing with these large combines and several trucks moving. Mm -hmm. uh, the community would gather up and start helping each other, especially someone that was a, a farmer that was down and out. Yeah. Uh, and they would just, I mean, you'd see 30, 40 combines come through, wipe out several fields at once and and get the grain and take it to the, the, the bins. I mean, it was just a nonstop massive operation that was, it, it brings a tear to my eye every time I saw it. Uh, but that's, that to me was the Missouri that I know, the Missouri yeah. that does care about each other. Yeah. And I yeah. don't see that enough. And it's, it's weird because it does resonate with some crowds, others, it just doesn't seem to hit. Uh, especially if it's a Democrat crowd, oof, that, that just the, I've had a room mm -hmm. stop and break into applause. I'm like, Whoa, okay. That's unexpected. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's neat. Uh, well, you know, and you bring up a, a sort of a, if I may digress a little bit, you're bringing up the concept of, of, uh, industrialized farming that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we call them CAFOs, uh, concentrated animal feeding operations. And these are, you know, big companies moving in and taking over uh, from the small farmer. And they don't think twice about, you know, somebody breaking a leg or something and being out of commission. Well, so what, you know, <laughs> uh, you're on your own now, go home and you know, you get, you get, you have, you may have been a farmer at one point and now you're actually farming land that's not your own anymore. And it belongs to some corporation. I, I, I know I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but it becomes a lot more impersonal and people, uh, you know, that, that, that bond that, traditionally brings the um, agricultural community together, you know, rallying around someone who had a misfortune or something like that. That Do you see that slipping away these days? Um, in a way, in mm -hmm. a way. I still see it. I mean, I still see it happen. I still see these these occurrences happen. Mm -hmm. It's every couple of years. It just doesn't seem like it's quite as frequent because I, when I was growing up, I swear it was my dad every year going through and, and helping out another farmer. Yeah, uh, yeah. It just, it doesn't seem as frequent anymore. It's like every couple of years as opposed to every, I guess part of that's good in the sense that, you know, there's, it's not happening as often, but there seems like there's less farmers and all. Yeah. Well, that so, doesn't surprise me because it's, it, uh, it's becoming a big industry right now, you know, and <clears throat> it's, getting worse from what I hear. I mean, I've never, I never grew up on a farm or anything like that, but you know, yeah. I, I've uh, just sitting here from my perspective, watching and, and uh, what's going on in the news and, and talking to a lot of people. Um, it is, uh, it's changing and it's kind of scary in a sense. I mean, it, that, and maybe that's part of the fear that people feel when they, when they, and it's a fear maybe that the Republicans have been able to take advantage of, you know, with, with, uh, border security and, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they're coming to take our guns, that sort of thing, or they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're coming to, to, uh, destroy our religion, you know, war and Christmas and things like that, you know, as society changes, you know, people get afraid. And, and, and I just, my perspective is that Republicans have been able to tap into that fear quite effectively. It is, it is an interesting thing that they do, especially bringing in that, that fear of immigrants, which is, 
it is kind of comical because that's one of the things that I look at when I see KFOs. I see a lot of, uh, and and this is nothing against immigrants. They they need jobs. I, in fact, I, mm-hmm. I'm going to do the old adage. I have friends that are immigrants. Well, my <laughs> wife is an immigrant, uh, and I had know some people that work at the local KFO. Mm-hmm. But it's a matter of they, they bring in diverse groups of people to work. And yeah. so it's kind of where they're running those culture wars of they're destroying your culture. And yet they're they're backing these KFOs that bring yeah. in immigrants and diversify the communities. It's kind of like, yeah. all right, cool. Uh, that's yeah. that's fine. No, I'm I'm excited about that because. Uh, well, KFOs was something that did resonate. Mm-hmm. Uh and it was it's something that a lot of farmers are aware of there are some farmers that admitted well you know i they're now one of my best uh dealers or they're they're one of the people right. that i, I right. sell to now right however it, it is easier to deal with one party when you're selling grain great mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to several parties right but then they also realized and that was one of the things that kind of came around with covid was uh food insecurity becomes a problem when you're when you uh, you have that whole too big to fail scenario where mm-hmm. uh, people on the the packing floor were getting sick because they're so close and so optimized uh, that they just pretty much had to shut down. And then you have these KFOs that have too many hogs because they can't sell them. And then they have to start just killing them. Yeah. Uh, that it, it's problematic. We, we do need smaller farms. We need, need more distributed networks because it co- creates problems. Yeah. And then, yeah. How does it work with farming, though? Because, you know, it, I have this impression, and it, it may be a, um, a stupid impression because I'm not a farmer, but you, know, you have, I think, choices to make in, in planting season. You know, what am I going to plant? And, and I think that farmers really have to be pretty savvy business-wise to figure out, okay, where is, I could plant soy, I could, I could plant corn. I know you have to rotate the fields and things like that as well. You have a lot of flexibility, though, and you know you 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 take your gamble in spring, I guess, in planting season. You make your plan and, and you go forward with it. I don't know if the, if you get that with CAFOs, though, you know, concentrated animal feeding operations or or the big you know factory farms. I, there isn't that flexibility there because you know, like you say, uh, COVID hits and then suddenly the the demand for uh, the demand for food or the types of food shifts majorly. And, um, you know, small farmers may be able to, to, uh, um, flex or be a little more flexible and adapt to it quickly. I, I don't know. How, how does that work? It, it's, it's kind of complicated. Yeah. That's one of the things that I always found interesting with farmers is, you know, you, you always get, uh, uh you always fault the a lot of people can pass off the farmer because, you know, oh, they don't have the education or anything like that. But there's a lot of intellect that goes into that. Oh, absolutely. And when you, yeah. Yeah. When you go into picking, okay, what field do you uh, plant next year? Uh, there's crop rotation is a big thing mm-hmm. uh, that you can't just plant corn year after year after year without having to dump a ton of fertilizer on and, and yeah. you basically bre- break down the ground. Uh, one of the reasons uh, we had cows for quite a while was because you wanted to, uh, cows were just a novel thing that, you know, a farmer has to have cows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was also, uh, you would take some of the land and give it a break from the rotation of corn, beans, corn, beans, corn, beans, and and give, uh, let it uh, grow alfalfa for a while. Yeah, kind of kind of break it up. And that's that's also the CRP, uh, is it CRP? Yeah, CRP programs where crop uh basically fields are just let to grow for a while you cut out all the trees and kind of collect a government check to keep going but mm-hmm. it's it, there is a purpose to that program yeah so yeah okay let me ask you uh getting back into some of the issues here did uh january 6th the republicans they tried to downplay this day of insurrection <clears throat> as legitimate political discourse and often the subject gets watered down and changed to the Antifa and Black Lives Matter riots. You know, the, these so-called red herring or whataboutism arguments surface. Did you see any right. real concern over this, what I would call an attempted coup over federal government last uh, January 6th? I, it, it was kind of, 
uh, in the Democratic Party, yes, it was still pretty strong, but the Republican side just really did want to downplay it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But you could definitely tell there is a split in the party as far as talking to people. There are some people that, well, well, there were some voting anomalies, but they weren't really. But then, you know, when you mentioned January 6th, uh, a lot of people didn't they didn't want to be associated with the Republican Party after that, or at least mm-hmm. that section of the Republican Party. They they all of a sudden the, the centrism came out. You're like, oh, OK, cool. Right. So we can talk. Yeah. Um, and and it did it did create a lot of common ground seeing that, oh, hey, this is eh, maybe this is a bridge too far. Yeah. So, well, I mean, the, the traditional Republican Party. Um, I mean, if you go way back throughout history, Republicans have actually been the more progressive party historically. I mean, the last 50 or 60 years is an exception, mm-hmm. but uh, historically they've been the most uh, progressive and, and they are, you know, traditionally very conservative. And you know, I mean, I was a member of the Republican Party, you know, way back when Reagan was president. But um, <laughs> now it's a bunch of crazy magas running around out there. And and I don't know. To me, it's sort of like. Uh, schizophrenia in a sense you got the two personalities you know, like you're all underneath the republican umbrella but you have this faction that are i would consider crazy people you know they're mm-hmm. and they're getting all kinds of attention you know screaming about you know but particularly the conflation between religion and politics uh they they get this sort of almost a cultish i've called it a truly the cult of trump and and then, but you still have these classic conservative, republic, uh, bread and butter Republicans out there, and this is a war going on within the party itself. And I mean, does that does that war really extend out into the rural areas? And and I guess what I'm hearing is that it doesn't necessarily extend out there because they want to distance themselves from the craziness. But I mean, at some point, the Republican Party is going to cave to this craziness and. What's going to happen to all these people that are, you know, basic conservatives that don't really want to find a home with the with, with the Democrats? Well, um, this is this is one of those things where you're either going to see a either they're going to retake the party because, believe it or not, the ones the the more centrist conservatives uh, understand or at least are thinking in the long term, they realize uh, what's popular and what isn't. They they have an idea of how to establish control and keep power without caving to the craziness mm-hmm. and so i i think that it's going to be the financial interests that try and ride that line and thread the needle to keep the crazy in check with but still trying to keep that support going mm-hmm. so if it does fracture it's going to fracture along those lines mm-hmm. uh once they realize that uh, we can't and it's possible after this midterm that that may be what drives uh the the uh, more, I hate to call MAGA, but MAGA culture off into their own party, or they just turn around and hijack the entire party and keep control. Yeah. But I think, you know, uh, love or hate Mitch McConnell, uh, he's going to be the one who is the de facto leader of the party and decides which direction it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, I have very common, little in common with that man, but he does see I can see the how his brain operates and and his forward thinking and it's impressive and scary. He is not a dumb man. No, no, no one ever accused him of that. He's extremely shrewd and calculating. <laughs> and but there is a, there is a lot of anti McConnell sentiment you know, permeating throughout MAGA world these days, and it's it's a good. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because there's enough MAGAs in in the U.S. in the U.S. Senate at this point that. Uh, would probably try I, I, to sabotage them. I don't know if it's necessarily so many. I just think that they're so loud. But I do think that mm-hmm. if if he loses control of the party, uh, then I think it's going to go full MAGA. If as long as McConnell's in charge, uh, things will stay as they are. Wow. Yeah, that's um. You know, it's <laughs> scary yeah, thought. It, it's scary. You know, I, I I don't consider myself a Republican just because simply because the uh, the crazies have I in my mind have, have either taken over or maybe like I say they're just so much louder than the rest of them that it gives the whole it, it stains the entire party and 
Um, so I've, you know, pretty much written off the Republicans, but it's still, I don't want to see this, you know, this uh, fracture occur because God only knows what's going to happen after that. Because you're going you're gonna to end up with, you know, if, if, like you say, if the MAGAs take over, you're going to end up with a large number of people out there. They're going to have to make some difficult choices. You know, do I stay in the Republican Party, even though I'm getting some of what I want, but the overall direction of the party is just completely nuts? Or do I become an independent? Or do I, you know, hold my nose and, and, and fill in the box for the Democrats? I, I don't know. Which, uh, that was one of the things that I got into the other day with uh, some people. I still talk to some people that claim to be independent. They don't want to associate with Trump, uh, but they'll spit at me uh, Republican talking points nonstop. Yeah. So, you know, they're watching. Uh, they just don't necessarily subscribe to that. Yeah. It's it's interesting to watch. And it's like, but but you just said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that's that dovetails into another discussion, which is probably should be for a different podcast. But it really becomes it comes down to media. Right. Because, yeah, mm -hmm. you, you live in, in rural America. When you turn on your TV, you know, what do you see? You know, do you, First of all, if you don't have Internet broadband access, which I understand is penetrating throughout, you know, the, the, the rural areas, but it's going to take some time. So if you don't have access to the, a wide variety of alternative information out there, um, you're kind of stuck with whatever whatever is playing on the local radio or whatever is playing on the TV. And a lot of people, they'll listen to uh, um, conservative radio in the day and they'll watch Fox TV at night. And that becomes their source of information. How do you break that cycle? You, it, that's a hard one. And that's one of the things that, that we've kind of got into. That actually gets back to one of the earlier discussions that we had about uh, what I'm up against. And I didn't, I forgot to even hit on that point was when I was growing up as a kid, I was a conservative too. And of course, I'd be out on the field, uh, be out on a tractor all day in the field and listening to conservative radio. And when I'd get home and, you know, it wasn't necessarily Fox News, but, it, you know, it, yeah. it becomes part of you if you listen to it all day, all night, and you don't have a competing narrative. Yeah. And, but to counter that, how we break that cycle is is we basically got to go where the people are and mm -hmm. where they're listening. I think it was Eric Swallow, uh, the, the Democrat from California, who often showed up on Fox News. And, and uh, there's I have another friend out there that I know personally uh from a few years ago we worked together ethan Behrman, mm -hmm. who he appears he i think he's on left coast news but he would show up on fox news all the time and it's he basically is there to take flack but that's that's how we gotta we gotta show up where they are yeah and and if we have to figure out a way to leverage these media resources then that's fine uh part of my uh, you know, what's next efforts uh, is is basically to go where the community is needs mm -hmm. and, and look into other efforts to connect with people outside of those media spheres. Yeah, uh, it's, that's it's a, a that's a pretty tall castle wall to penetrate, though, because it's, <laughs> um, you know, and I, I do have some hopes and I've actually on a, on kind of a side discussion here, but I've I've hung out the idea out there of, of having a live streaming radio broadband radio so as you know broadband penetrates through the uh through the through the heartland through through the rural areas uh mm -hmm. you know you can you can tune in other radio stations you can tune into any station you want you can tune into um a station from germany if you want to or you're out there in your tractor you know with your cell phone and stuff so right. i think that you know these the opportunities that come with this expansion of the internet and infrastructure throughout the heartland is is pretty amazing. Now, the only thing you have to do is really, like you say, get people to listen to it, <laughs> get people to say, hey, you've got another alternative here. And that's, it's, it's frustrating, because I see this from an IT perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I look at online, you know, everyone likes to point to Facebook. And, and that was one of the problems that I had is I didn't jump on Facebook enough. Mm -hmm. But it was also Facebook is frustrating, because uh, people love to create their own echo chamber. And Facebook yeah. just loves it, because that creates the interactivity that they need. Right. Uh, so yeah, we got to break into those circles and figure out how to crack those information silos. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not an easy task. <laughs> no, it isn't. And and also, that's not to mention newspapers as well, because I, from what I understand, newspapers are being consolidated all throughout the country up until like just a handful of 
major media organizations. So your local news sort of goes away. You know, the right. local reporters are no longer there. Uh, they go to mm-hmm. the big city and work for the big companies. And uh, these guys pretty much high and dry mm-hmm. out there in terms of information sources. Right. Uh, we, we're going to have to readapt to how media is consumed and how that, that it is. Uh, that's one of the things I was talking to some friends about possibly starting a uh, web newsletter that was loca- uh, locally focused. And immediately the thought was, oh, well, let's just scale this up to a national level. I'm like, no, that loses the local focus. Exactly. I, I want to hear what's going on in my community. Uh, it was going to be something uh, intellectually driven. Uh, I wanted something to know about the local uh, scholar bowl results. I wanted to know about bar trivia. I wanted to know about uh, volunteer efforts in the community, yeah. things like that, that don't necessarily make the newspaper. Right. Yeah. Things like high school football games and stuff like that. It, I mean, it's a, yeah. well, yeah. you know, they, they hit the high school football games. It's oh, not, yeah. you know, that's fine. Uh, it's it's the non ball based academics that seem to get left wow. behind. There was uh, they're talking about canceling a local speech and debate debate uh, competition they have every year wow. because the position was not filled. And I got to tell you, uh, I've judged this uh, twice now and I got to these kids are sharp. These are your next leaders. Yeah. And if you don't give them that place, that platform to, to practice, then you're really, you're clipping the wings of a lot of kids. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. You're clipping their wings. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, sort of want to wrap this up pretty soon here, but uh, <laughs> I want to ask you a big question here. I mean, you ran, right? You ran and, and uh, you, you took your lumps, you, you found out what it's like to run and, um, yeah, you pulled down a decent number of votes out there. You took the challenge, in other words. You got your name out there, and you're now known mm-hmm. as a player. Uh, is this it for you, or do you see yourself running again for another position or running next uh, in 2024? Uh, and if so, you know, <laughs> have you talked it over with your wife? Because this is not an easy thing, and she's part of your team, So, uh, as is the rest of your family. So um, what's next, or have you made up your mind yet? Uh, well, I've actually already talked it over with my wife and, and the, I, I agreed to her that I would only run it again if people ter- twisted her arm enough to tell me to run. Okay. Uh, she, I, I believe in uh, having a strong relationship with a strong wife and uh, I've always had strong women in my life. I think that that's, that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, as far as what's next, so uh, my political runs are... Uh, on pause until uh, she changes her mind or someone else is influential enough to say, hey, you did a good job. You need to do this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, I want to focus on rebuilding these central committees. So I want to go around to, I want to start with Atchison, Holt, Worth, Gentry, and make sure that they have their base set. Yeah. Uh, I want to look at volunteer efforts. There's a, a senior center here, which always seems like they're short on help. There's also Vanna Kitchen, which is uh, kind of like a homeless uh, dinner mm-hmm. that happens every week. Um, I want to keep going with uh, social media outreach, work on other areas. Uh, I think there's a JoJo who is in South, uh, in kind of rural South Missouri, that I want to talk to and see what we can do to keep building. Uh, and then yeah. I want to work on creating local programs uh, for community outreach, kind of figure out a way to get Democrats names into the agricultural field, set up mutual aid networks uh, for uh, times of food insecurity and other things to make sure that everyone has the resources they need to get by. Because, you know, with climate change and everything else, we don't know what's going to happen. And yeah. COVID showed us just how vulnerable we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on many different fronts, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the last thing I, I, I know I was going to be in my future is to take a Stop the Bleed course. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to promote trying to get that into the schools as well as uh, trying to create a program to get uh, IFACs in schools, which IFACs are uh, independent uh, individual first aid kits. Oh, okay. So <clears throat> where... A lot of people are pushing to get uh, armed resource officers into school. I, I think uh, I, I, there's a lot of downsides to that. Whereas uh, getting an indip- individual first aid kit, uh, there's not a lot of downsides to that. You can't just accidentally kill someone with a first aid kit. 
Right. So, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, but, I think that's far better. Yeah, I think that's a much, much more intelligent thing. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about school shootings, too, because that is a real, uh, real issue. But we're kind of running out of time. <clears throat> you mentioned uh, Jojo uh, in Southern Missouri. You're talking about Jojo Stewart because we just had her on the podcast last week. Yeah. 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 Very yeah. interesting. She's becoming, <clears throat> excuse me, she's becoming very politically active and uh, very interesting person to talk with. Uh, she started her own blog. And uh, yeah, we had her on the podcast last week, had a great conversation with her. Oh, yeah. She's a fantastic individual. I hope she keeps moving. Yeah. Um, but both her and I are of the mind that, you know, we got to, look at community efforts because it's that's where we're falling short. We need to get a name out. We yeah. need to associate uh, Democrats with a positive message and, and put that in front of people that, hey, we are caring, we are considerate, we want to help. Uh, instead, I think they're getting the message that we're preaching about how bad things are. It's like, no, we, we can do better. Yeah, it's kind of hard to get that message across without sounding you know, like you're yeah, being a doom and gloom person. And another problem I think the Democrats have overall is they sound like they're talking down to people because they get you know too intellectual and they say, you should do this, you should do this, rather than actually <laughs> listening to what the people have to say and saying, okay, let's put something together and work together on this. So you're, right. you're pretty much committed to the Democratic Party then, huh? I, I am. I, I was a Republican way back in the day, and I just watched my community wither and die, as, as you said with the intro. Yeah. Um, I think we can do better. Okay. And I think the Democrats are the kind of the way to go. Yeah. So. Good. One final question for you, because you're in the country, and I'm in the city, and I keep hearing about this term called a hoedown. What, what is a hoedown? <laughs> I don't do country music. No. Oh, okay. Uh, Co a hoedown i it's a party um yeah. it's just a party it's oh, all okay. it is yeah uh, just... we actually used to have some pretty awesome community parties uh block parties back in the day yeah uh, maybe you should get some of those going too because you know it's it's i i actually i asked that question but i actually know the answer because <laughs> i looked it up and it was fascinating because it's actually it's actually refers to a country dance that was developed mm -hmm. in the midwest here and was yeah. for it was actually from the early 1800s and referred to a dance that was based on the movements of hoeing corn and potatoes. <laughs> and, and it was nice. Very popular, obviously, during the uh, during harvest season in the early fall. And that is pretty cool. I like that. But but yeah, I mean, hoedowns, to me, it sounds like that's just a great thing to have. I mean, you need to get the community back together and get you know people get them away from, you know, watching Fox News at night or something like that and, and just have some fun, you know. It is, and I, uh, my wife's uh, uh, Filipino, and I, we have probably a good community of uh, probably 10, 15 uh, families mm -hmm. in this community that we get together on a regular basis, and I'm like, this is what it means. I mean, yeah. a lot of them are conservative, and there's a couple of us that are Democrats, but you know, we get together, we converse, and of course, we, we bash each other's sides a little bit, but yeah. you know, overall, it's a, it's a real good time, and I, I think that we do need to get back to that. Yeah. 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 There are groups out there like the Bridge Alliance and um, uh, Braver Angels. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they have that that process of getting everybody together. You know, it's just like mm -hmm. it, it, it was a major dent was put in it during COVID because you couldn't have these face to face meetings. But I think they're coming out now and, and uh, you know, meeting at the bars and stuff and like, OK, you're going to have a, a really conservative Republican talk to a real liberal Democrat. And I think you find out that, you know, you have probably 90% overlap in what your concerns are. And, and, you know, you erase those barriers and find out that, yeah, you're not that different than me. I'm not going to vote, you know, Democrat, or I'm not going to vote Republican, <laughs> you know, something, like but you know, it, it, and I always have this feeling that, um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an independent, but I would have no problem, uh, supporting a Republican if I thought that they were actually, doing you know, a, a good job for the people. And like I say, Republicans used to be very progressive, um, mm -hmm. the progressive era, which was from like the eight, nine, 1890s to like around 1920. Uh, a lot <laughs> of great things were done. You know, it was uh, women, right. uh, women got the amendment 19, women got the right to vote. Um, unions came into their own uh, anti-child right. uh, uh, anti labor laws and stuff. Uh, antitrust oh, yeah. laws, you know, all this came about in a very progressive era. And this is actually the Republicans leading the way when it, when this happened. The Democrats were kind of mm -hmm. like hanging back, you know. 
So, well, I mean, we had Woodrow Wilson, who was, oh my God, was, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, Let, let's not talk about our history at the Democratic Party. It was not, not great. Yeah, but... it, it wasn't. I mean, it, it is, uh, it was the Southern, the, the Southern Democrats were perhaps one of the more racist, uh, organizations oh, out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have no problem at, well. I say don't talk about it, but yeah, I I fully admit the Democratic Party does not have the uh, the greatest of origin stories. Yeah, uh, we we've shifted. Uh, I think uh, Kennedy and LBJ were definitely the ones to. Well, actually, no, it was it was Roosevelt, wasn't it? Franklin. Yeah, I think it was actually starting in the in the 30s, but um, and throughout the 50s. Uh, well, 50s was more Eisenhower, but yeah, in the and then culminating in the civil rights. Um, um, litigation in the 1960s mm-hmm. which the democrats signed on to and that was that was a turning point i think lbj was quoted as saying something like we've just lost the democratic party for like the next generation or two something of that nature yeah when he signed that because that's when the southern strategy started and the republicans swooped in and started you know changing their attitude and you know <laughs> we see the results today so that one little thing that republicans don't like to talk about <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Southern strategy. Yeah, that was a, a shrewd political decision. Yes, but it was a disaster for a lot of people. So, yeah, it is. Anyways, on, um, yeah, we could we could talk forever. I know you got to get going pretty soon. You've got places to go and people to see. You've got uh, appointments. And uh, yeah, we should wrap this up at this point. Uh, any final words? Just uh, get out there and stay involved. Um, your local community needs you as much as, as the national community. Um, if there's an opening uh, in your local race, uh, step up. It's really, it, it, it takes a lot of work, even if you do the bare minimum, but I, I think it's worthwhile in the end. And uh, I'm still proud, regardless of how bad I got beaten, I'm still proud of the people I connected to and, and how much that I was able to get done. Good. So I, I, I encourage, I don't want to see an unopposed seat in this next election. I don't care which one. I think that it's definitely worthwhile. So. Good. I like that. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Michael Bomley, a recent candidate for the State Senate District 12 in Missouri. Michael, thank you very much for joining us on Democracy on the Move. Thank you. Have a good one. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, well, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.